All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Deconstructing the Bible. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the Associate Minister at The Well, United Methodist Church in Rosemont, Minnesota. And for this season of the podcast, we are diving into children's stories reconstructed. So far, we've talked about Eve. We've talked a little bit about Cain and Abel. And for each of these episodes, we are having some guests join us. And so today, I am excited to be joined by Christine Ford, who is the associate pastor at the United Methodist Church in White Bear Lake. So, Christine, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. I am, like you said, I'm the associate pastor here at White Bear Lake UMC. I am a recent seminary graduate. I'm in process towards ordination. I love, love church life. I, I love education and I love learning and I love stories. I love storytelling. And so when you told me about the promise of this podcast or this season of the podcast, I was so excited. I think that this is such a cool way to approach some, some stories that maybe we feel like we know really well, because we've heard them for most of our lives. Um, but it's so good to go back and revisit them and to, um, and to look at them through adult eyes. Sort yeah. of like the difference between when you watch Sesame Street as a child and then you watch it as a parent. You know, you get a whole <laughs> Tell me more about that. I want to know how should I be watching Sesame Street? Have now? you not watched Sesame Street as a parent? No. Oh my goodness, the humor in there and the double meanings and the parodies. It's basically Saturday Night Live with Muppets. Oh, that's amazing. I love yeah, it. Well, oh, that's good. I'm going to have to, you know, go back and uh, watch a few episodes. Yeah. Definitely. Well, hey, congratulations on graduation. Congratulations oh, on the process towards ordination. That's super exciting. And it's been great getting to know you as we've been yeah. part of a few groups together with uh, mm-hmm. onboarding into the UMC. And so I'm excited for us to unpack this story um, a little further. So we're talking about Noah's Ark. And so, Christine, tell me a little bit about how this story was maybe first introduced to you and kind of what you gleaned from that introduction. Well, I think for me, like most kids who were raised in the Christian faith, it's one of the earliest stories we hear. And I think that it lends itself fairly naturally to children because there's animals and there's bright colors. There's a lot of very easy visual themes and a lot of things that can be done around, if you're familiar with curriculum, like godly play. Um, It's something that is really adaptable and really easy to make hands on. So Mm -hmm. that was true for me. I learned about Noah's Ark from, from uh, my days in the church nursery and early Sunday school. And, you know, growing up uh, loving animals, it was a favorite story. And I think that that's one of the most beloved tales, um, certainly of the Old Testament, but really of all the uh, Christian scripture. I love that you're like highlighting the kind of the visual nature of the story. It's a mm. really easy story to like imagine, like especially as a kid, because you can just kind of imagine a big boat. You can imagine all the animals. You can imagine a rainbow because you've seen a rainbow. Yeah. And so there's just so many elements to it that just seem um, very easy to grasp mm-hmm. uh, just right on the surface. You know, when you start talking about like Exodus and, you know, leaving slavery behind. I mean, kids don't quite have maybe as much visual concepts of what that may look like, especially at the age of like four, you know, but animals, like we all get it. 
Um, so what were some of like the lessons that were maybe taught in those kind of early stages for you? You know, I think I mostly remember the messaging around the story being about, you know, God punishes sin. Uh, God saves those who are faithful or that um, if you put your faith in God, there is uh, hope for you. There's hope for hope for the world and that that was made again, going back to the visual, it was made so clear and so such a sensory experience of, you know, the message of everything can be destroyed. You know, kids know what bad weather is. Kids know what, you know, flooding and um, destruction is, even if they don't have the words for it yet. But the, that message was really reinforced in all these different ways that this story does that, um, that through God, there is a way forward. There is a way of hope and also God's justice will rain down on you that, Mm. that it it almost like the way we talk about Santa Claus with kids Mm. and God is watching you in the, in the same story, you have kind of God as this amazing rescuer and provider Mm -hmm. and almost like the salvation of humanity and the animal kingdom. And also like the divine, like judge, jury and executioner, you know, even though we probably didn't highlight that when we were kids, uh, it was still kind of, like you said, it was still kind of there. Like, Hey, don't, don't do too much wrong because bad things happen Mm -hmm. to those who do wrong. Right. I mean, that's kind of how the situation is set up. You know, Noah is the only righteous one left Mm -hmm. and therefore that's the one God saves. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's such an easy story. Like everyone's bad except for Noah. Therefore, we're saving Noah and all the animals and starting over. Um, And how do we know this is a good story? There's a rainbow at the end. Of course, it's a good story. I mean, it just seems to be so easy to pull those lessons out. So I think that kind of naturally leads into now that we have that. As you've grown and studied, as you've engaged theology, you know, biblical criticism and you know, just dived in, like, what, what other layers are there to this story that you've started to uncover? Well, I think one of the things that's important to remember is that it is a story. This isn't a history textbook. And, you know, there's like, there's this museum, I believe it's in Kentucky called the Ark Encounter, where someone has created Mm -hmm. what they believe is a literal representation of a literal arc. And it's just, when you when you dig into the text, it's just not possible to find a single consistent story. There are multiple points in the text that disagree with itself. You know, the notion of is it seven pairs of animals or is it one pair of animals? The different accounts talk about the different timelines where is it 150 days? Is it 40 days plus four chunks of seven days, you know, there definitely needs to be, I don't know if you'd call it deconstruction, but memory around the, the function of, of biblical stories, you know, were mm-hmm. they meant to be history lessons? No, not in the same way that when you take history 101 in college, I think the other thing that really sticks out as something that can get into dangerous territory is how black and white this story 
um, and how dichotomous, very dualist. Yeah. Um, when um, you know, there's good people and there's bad people. God saves, God destroys. God judges, God rewards. Um, and it's very clear cut. You know, who's in, who's out. What's clean, what's not clean, and what um, what God will do with that, which is very distinctly wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, if we are if we are going to be people who wrestle with uh, questions of faith, and if we're going to be people who want to see gray in things, stories like this can be very problematic, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's important, I think, to try to um, try try to find the gray and to not... That was going to be my question, is like, where have you found gray in this story? Because I think you're right. Even... Even as an adult, there seems to still be such a, you know, dualistic reading of the text. So where have you found some gray in the midst of the story? Well, I think that um, one of my biggest takeaways from it as an adult now um, is I look at this and I see how vulnerable creation is to human, to human folly. Mm-hmm. You know, the the birds and the bees and the plants and the trees did not do anything wrong in this story. And God still decides to wipe them out in their entirety. Right. Um, and that is the fault of humans. And now in our day and age facing climate disaster, um, it's once again, not the birds, the bees, the plants or the trees who have anything to do with climate change. It is human intervention. Right. And so I think that while that is that is a a black and white thing in that it's human or it's not human, um, the moral the morality of, around that yes. I think that's a very morally gray stance that right. God takes in that I will destroy things that are innocent, mm. um, or I'll yeah. allow things to be destroyed that are innocent. Like I'm Absolutely. not gonna. I'm not going to just automatically intervene. You know, there, there were there were other calamities that could have happened, you know, and not Absolutely. to be not to be too close to home, but a plague, right? <laughs> a plague would have been human loss without mm-hmm. the dramatic effects on the animal and plant kingdoms in the same way. Now there's always, you know, we're always interconnected in some ways, mm-hmm. and so there may have been impact, but not a flood that covered the whole earth and destroyed everything. Mm-hmm. So you're right. There, there is a level of the way God relates to humans extends to the rest of creation, and we yeah. can't get around that. And I, and I think the story is saying, no, they're actually tied really closely together, which goes back to the earliest parts of Genesis, where humanity is given responsibility to tend and to guard all of creation. And part of our tending and guarding it may be the way we treat one another, the way we interact with the divine because mm-hmm. it has ramifications and ripple effects for all of creation. Um, and maybe that is part of the gray or the question, the dance that this story is allowing us to sit in. And I love that you brought it right to the 21st century with the way we're treating our planet. Cause I think it's, it is really uh, a, a, a now question, not just mm-hmm. a, a nice philosophical question. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the window of opportunity we have to do damage control is ever shrinking and um 
you know, it, it sort of alludes to, but doesn't really say that God gave humans uh, time to do damage control in this story too. And they squandered it. Mm. And so, you know, I, I worry for us. Yeah. I mean, even in the book of Romans, I think it's Paul that writes that creation is in the pangs of childbirth, kind of groaning mm. for humanity to be humanity and to be fully as God has called us to be. And so there is something about the way in which um, the earth kind of reflects or engages with humanity. You know, I just did a conversation with Tyler Sit on Cain and Abel. And, mm. you know, when, when, when Cain kills Abel, God's response is I, I, his blood is crying out from the ground. Yeah. And, you know, one of the reflections that we had is, well, do we listen to the ground anymore? Do we listen to the pain that the earth is holding on to because of what we've done? And, and, and maybe this story of Noah's Ark is another reflection of that. Like, are, are we really noticing what's going on around us in creation to allow it to tell us something about who we are? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, would, do we listen to it? So, yeah. you know, I've heard this quote and I've heard it attributed to different people. So I'm not really sure who originated it, but it says the world is loud and God whispers. Mm. And as we, as humans kick up a lot of noise, um, are we listening for the whispers from the earth? Are we listening and I would argue maybe the earth isn't even whispering anymore. It, right. It's screaming at us loud and clear that we're not living in a sustainable way. Mm. Um, but that that is, that is whispers not just from the physical earth, but from the spiritual earth as well. Is that, that is, you know, we're speaking awfully loudly and we're talking over creation. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Oh, I love that. The earth is saying something loud and God whispers. Oh, that's really beautiful. So one of the tensions that I've always wrestled with when it comes to this story is as a kid, it's really easy to focus on the ark being built and all the animals coming, the big flood, and they survive, they land on the mountain, there's a rainbow, they get to go out and start over again. And it, it's always so positive. And, and then as you get older, you know, you turn like 14 or 15, and you go, but if they're the only ones that are alive, that means that everybody else died. Mm -hmm. That doesn't sound very loving doesn't sound like God gave people a lot of chances. Mm -hmm. Doesn't sound like the most gracious thing to do. Um, you know, if you start to like talk about Jesus being, you know, loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you or turning the other cheek, all these things that we talk about with Jesus, you know, doesn't sound like that's an understanding of what we're seeing in God in this story. So how have you maybe wrestled with this kind of a little bit more mature kind of articulation of the story and a very accurate understanding of the story that there's a lot of destruction happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that the universal judgment of God, the, the black and white nature of God's judgment in this is not terribly compatible with the gospel message. And I, I think that 
it's one of many examples in the Bible that we're we're not always real consistent with our messaging. So I think that just as we can't take it as a historical story about, um, you know, they obviously can't disagree on how many animals and the notion that all of the animals of the world would fit into that ark anyway, this ark located in the Middle East, you know, not a lot of polar bears in, in uh, modern day Turkey, that if we're not going to take that with any amount of literal interpretation, we also shouldn't take um, God's destruction of humanity mm. as literal either. And mm. it is a story to explain something. Sure. You know, in this case, uh, I've read speculation that it's a story to um, explain what was an actual natural disaster, but was actually localized, not, you know, the whole globe. Or it's a story to uh, tell a message in the same way we think of like Aesop's fables. Mm -hmm. You know, there are no talking foxes in the world, but Aesop's fables are still are still really poignant and special and maybe sacred, small s sacred stories that, that convey a message and a meaning. And so um, the authors of the Noah narrative probably were not we're not relaying God's body count per se, but to, um, but to illustrate other things. So I think you almost have yeah. to just let go of the notion that God would do that literally. Hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I learned about in, in my time in seminary and in other areas is there were a lot of ancient Near Eastern flood narratives that would mm -hmm. have been written down or floated around, you know, from the Babylonians to, you know, other groups of people. And one of the more popular ones had the gods or God being very angry and being the one that was causing a lot of the destruction, mm -hmm. even the even the intent to destroy humanity. And if it wasn't for the braveness of humans to overcome God's anger, there would have been no hope. And so the biblical story kind of reframes the, yeah. the God character to, yes, have some accountability for human, you know, for lack of a better word, wickedness or, 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 or mm -hmm. hatred or, you know, brokenness for that matter. Um, but that isn't the totality of God to be mm -hmm. one of destruction and to be one of anger. It's to actually be one that says, I still have hope. I still have belief that we can figure this out together. And so God remains in community, at least with someone and yeah. partners in order to bring about a restoration or a, or a or resurrection or a, a reimagining of, of what it could mean to, to recreate humanity. And so it becomes a much, even though when you look at it through the lens of all the death, it's meant to be a more hopeful story than the other stories out there. Which sounds right. almost egregious to us. Like, well, it's still really awful. It's still really, really full of death and violence. And it's like, yeah, but remember, it's less violent. And we're, we're on a trajectory towards Christ, which is laying his life down for his enemies. We got to get there with humanity slowly. It takes time to embrace, time. you know, resurrection. Yeah. It takes time to embrace sacrifice. Um, and so maybe this, this story is kind of a movement Mm -hmm. towards something more beautiful 
Um, and and maybe it was a it was an, an advancement on what it means to be human as opposed to, you know, especially a human's understanding of the divine. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always appreciated that way of diving into the story to see um, God being expressed as as loving and kind, even though there is so much pain involved there. I think that's really a, a fascinating, a fascinating uh, comparison, and especially because we're not often um, exposed to any earlier flood narratives to see that progress. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the only scriptural flood narrative we have. Um, so unless someone's going looking for other ancient narratives, they're not going to necessarily see this. The other thing that it does uh, that I'm struck by, in addition to um, reframing God as having um, benevolence and having being in community with humanity still, to me, it sounds like it really reframes God as a being that's very intentional. Mm. A narrative about floods and the destruction of humanity and however, whatever form it might take, but that comes as almost a consequence of God's wrath and God's anger. It, to me, it almost sounds accidental. Mm-hmm. Like uh, when a child breaks something, in the midst of a temper tantrum right? versus I am going to identify a problem and I'm going to create a solution to a problem. I love that you're pointing us to that because, you know, one of the things that we haven't mentioned yet is that in this story we have, uh, I think it's the first time that the word covenant is used and it's the first time God makes a covenant with humanity. And Mm -hmm. so we see God telling Noah, like, I'm no longer going to destroy the earth through a flood. And I make a vow, I make a covenant with you this sacred relationship not to do that. And covenants have different elements to them. And one of those elements is a symbol. You know, Mm -hmm. so for instance, when partners get married or have a ceremony, we often have an exchange of rings. And the symbol is this circle that's a never ending, you know, circle, which means that the love is supposed to be never ending. Well, the symbol of the covenant God makes with Noah is the, the rainbow. And it's, and it's intentionally meant to be a bow as if the the hunter the one that is there to punish the one that is there to destroy is putting down the bow mm-hmm. but in putting down the bow if you were to imagine that being a bow and having an arrow well, which way is the arrow pointed it's not a smiley face pointed with an arrow at us as if we're the problem there's right. a bow with the arrow pointed up towards heaven which now we can get into like how you know heaven's not up there and hell down right. there but that was the old ancient Near Eastern conception that heaven's up there, hell's down below, and that kind of thing. So you can see the symbology, the symbol of God saying, I'm making this vow. I'm the one being held accountable. I will not do this. And if I do, the punishment's coming towards me. You get the idea here that this is a beautiful promise of God to say, I'm not going to mess around um, in, in the same way. Not that God was messing around, but I'm not going to do this. <laughs> Um, cause we're moving away from the petulant child uh, idea. So, um, which I really appreciate you doing. So, um, anyway, I just love that that symbol carries a lot of meaning when it comes to the covenantal relationship that God desires to have with humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found it really interesting that at least in the, um, NRSV translation, it never actually says rainbow. It only says bow. What does it mean? that the 
rainbow has become so ubiquitous as a symbol of this story mm-hmm. when in fact the word is only bow. So as we come towards the end of this conversation, I think we've really highlighted some really beautiful things. We've talked about the interplay of humanity's decisions and humanity's way of interacting with God and with one another, having ripple effects and connections to creation and creation and humanity having kind of a symbiotic relationship, which we already know exists. It's obvious. We eat plants, you know, from the ground and Mm -hmm. animals that are, we raise. I mean, there's obviously connection there, but so much so that there's, there's monumental consequences. And so as we see that in Genesis chapter six through nine, we see that today. We also have pulled ideas about God's benevolence being in this story, even though it seems like a story of God's judgment, it could be also a story of a God who partners with humanity, who comes alongside humanity, that loves humanity, as opposed to simply wants to destroy humanity. And then finally, we see a God who is holding God's self accountable for this relationship that God wants to be like invested in us and in the success of what it means to be human, that God is on our side um, and is willing to make a covenant where the only sign we have is that the threat is to God if, if God were to break that vow. And so we know God's not going to do that. And so how beautiful is it that God is covenanted to us to see us flourish and to become all that we need to be, both not only for ourselves, but also for all of creation. And so I love that we've brought some of these themes out of this passage. And so is there anything else before we, we sign off today that, that you want to mention or highlight uh, before we go? You know, I would just say that one of my other takeaways from this story is that, yes, it is through God's grace, but at the same time, human beings have a remarkable capacity for self-preservation. You know, Noah had to be capable of what God was asking of him. Yeah, that's good. And that this is a story that brings incredible feats that human beings are capable of, you know, through, um, through hard work and through faith and through, um, you know, through following instructions. I don't know. But I mean, I love the, the, the idea in the story where the people are coming up to know and they'll be like, what are you doing? Like, you're in the middle of like a desert. Why are you building a boat? Like, and, and, you know, I wonder how many times in our lives, do we feel called to something where everyone would look at us and, and be like, why would you go do that? Why would you spend your time there? Why would you, you know, why is that, that, that can't be fun. Like that can't be entertaining or that can't be very meaningful. And yet if we, if we know that God is calling us to it, we trust that there's meaning and purpose in it. And, and maybe it isn't fun. Maybe it is just hard, hard work, but we trust that God is doing something with it. That's way bigger than anything we could imagine you know, imagine. And I think that is a really beautiful thing that we can draw from the story uh, of Noah. Yeah. All right, Christine, thank you so much for joining me. Is there any way people can be in touch with the work that you do or uh, the things that you're, um, you know, out there in the world doing either on social media or elsewhere? You can find White Bear Lake UMC on Facebook, on Instagram, and on our YouTube channel. And we would love to be in in community with anyone and everyone. That's awesome. We love love that this network of churches, this, you know, the Minnesota conference is such a 
uh, a loving conference towards you know our sister churches or you know yeah. and, and our family of churches. It's such a cool thing to be able to highlight the good work that's being done um, out in our communities um, as we continue to partner together. So Christine, thanks so much for joining me today on Deconstructing the Bible. Thank you so much for having me.